knowing that you know, knowing that you know. Somebody asked you, how do you know that you are saved? They're not just asking what's the way of salvation, though I suppose that's included in the answer, but what, what they're really saying is, how can you be so sure? Some believers' confidence before God varies almost from day to day. Sometimes it's about their religious performance. Things are going well, and they feel that they've done more or less what's required of them. They feel confident. Others, their assurance goes up and down with their feelings. I don't feel saved today. I don't feel very spiritual today. Now, you know you, you, you can't trust that. So tonight I'm going to show you how to look away from yourself to Christ and Christ alone as the ground of your assurance. Let's pray. Father, this assurance of which we speak is not merely a logical deduction. It's not even something that is anchored in our own personal experience ultimately. Only the Holy Spirit can bring to us what we're saying here. So we ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit and help people to step. Lack of confidence to the place of holy confidence before God. Amen. You know, one of the first things that we do to help new believers, brand new believers, is not only to make sure that they really understand the gospel, because a lot of people respond to all kinds of things. Those of you in the consolidation ministry, when we have it this way, at the moment it's happening in our uh, welcome room or in in the cell groups, but somebody makes a commitment to Christ in a public service, we want to speak with them straight away if we can, and say, what was in your heart when you said yes to Jesus tonight? Usually, you get all kinds of uh, answers. Um, It it might be, well, I just love the singing, or I I don't know, but I just feel something. And all that's very good, but those things are not enough to assure you to give you confidence before God, the kind of confidence that will last right up until that very day, that moment before you stand before God, as we all shall. The moments before we slip into eternity, what will you be trusting in? Uh, There are various diagnostic questions that we can use to establish that. We may come to those, but first of all, I I want to talk to you about this whole fact of assurance, being knowing that you know. Um, And this is, it drives people who are outside the faith crazy. 
How can you be so sure? And they also are wise enough, many of them, to know that there are all kinds of religious convictions, fanatical convictions. People are prepared to die a martyr's death because of some belief, conviction. Usually it comes about by brainwashing or by false belief, false hope, false reliance. So it's not just knowing that you know and knowing that you are sure, but how can you say, listen, it's not just my conviction that I know and I believe and I'm sure, but here is what backs up my conviction. And you have something outside of yourself to point to and say, because of this, I know I'm saved. Now, for us as believers, because of Jesus, we know we are saved. And so much about the life of Jesus is open to investigation. So it's not just calling on some kind of subjective experience. It's being able to point outside ourselves to Jesus and be able to help others see that there are very, very good reasons for believing and very, very good reasons for trusting in Jesus. But you need to know, as you probably already do, that being sure these days is not popular. It's frowned upon. Sometimes, if you say you're sure about anything, it, it's met with ridicule. I know people who don't believe that they can be sure about absolutely anything. They're not even sure whether they exist. And some of these people have uh, got a bit too much into their head. Uh, throughout the history of philosophy, there have been various philosophies that have denied external reality, and it's come back today with a vengeance in many different ways. Now, we're not going down that route tonight, but just to say it's a very relevant topic, particularly in religious matters. Have you heard anybody say to you, well, you know, how can you be so sure that you are right and the others are wrong? If they don't believe what you believe, you're telling me that they're wrong? And it's a hard question because the right answer is yes. But then they'll come right back and say, well, that's just your opinion. And, and this, again, is quite infuriating in any kind of discussion or where you're trying to present some kind of argument in any area. Not just in the area of faith and, and, and belief in God, but there are many, it, this is frustrating. So you, you give out all this kind of stuff, say, well, that's just your opinion. I have this opinion, you have that opinion. Now, there may be times when you have different opinions and it's better to say, well, let's agree to disagree. But behind this idea that that's just your opinion is actually an attack upon your character. And when somebody says to me, well, you believe in Jesus, but that's just your opinion. Actually, I'm sorry. It's not just my opinion. But if you press this too far, people will come back to you and say, look, you're arrogant, you're bigoted, you're narrow-minded. And when you think of all the different opinions out there, different religions, different philosophies, and even within the Christian faith, there are wide-ranging different opinions, wide-ranging different interpretations of Scripture. 
And so they say, well, how can you be so sure? Well, an immediate answer is let every person be fully persuaded in their own mind. Now, by full persuasion, it's not just saying, this is my conviction, I've got no reasons for it, but I, I, I'm just going to believe it anyway. When you talk about being fully persuaded, it's because you have examined the evidence and you've looked into the matter. Many people today, maybe some of you out there, you've, you've rejected Christianity and actually you've never even examined it. Oh, the Bible, the Bible is just made up. The Bible is just a human book. Have you read it? No. Have you looked at the evidence? What evidence? So obviously you haven't. There are many, many reasons for believing. But one of the most dangerous statements, or why people make this statement is very dangerous. Well, that's just your opinion. Um, and it's not just ordinary conversation that they're talking about here. What, what they're really saying is that, look, there is no such thing as religious truth. There's, some say there's no such thing as truth altogether. So you say, is that statement true? You begin to say, well, I said that to one person. There's no such thing. No such thing, he says, as truth. So I said, is that statement true? Yes. All right, well, there's one thing that's, <laughs> it's a self-defeating statement. But you see, here it goes. It's a, bit, it's a bit like this. It's very easy to grasp. So we have a physical world that can be investigated through science. We have logic. We can do maths and all that kind of stuff. And so logical truth like this, two plus two equals four. And actually, there are people who are questioning that today, but we won't go there. Um, um, and, you know, you, you, you can do tests uh, and science helps us. And so they say, that's the only kind of way that we can begin to know any, any kind of truth. And so when it comes to the existence of God, you can't put him in a test tube. Um, we say we experience him, but it's not the same. It's not, it's not a scientific thing. So they say, look, you better not be dogmatic about any religious statement because it's all just a matter of opinion. It's only opinions. These are not just matters of fact. Some time ago, I was being interviewed by a journalist for a BBC program to do with evangelical Christianity. And um, I have my own way of approaching this um, to ensure that they're going to treat me fairly. Um, and I always meet with whoever's running the program beforehand and get some things straight. So um, I was on fire. And um, I walked into this room and I spoke to the journalist, the, the person who's going to interview me, and the producer. And I said, um, let me tell you what you think of me. And you can tell it was in the time of George Bush presidency. Uh, today, we might have said Donald Trump, you know, but anyway, back then. You believe I'm a George Bush-loving, bigoted, fundamentalist, narrow-minded, antisocial person. And they said, yes. So I said, let me tell you what I think about you. I think you are liberal-minded, wishy-washy, ABC people anything but Christian. They were a bit shocked. So I said, now we've talked about what our prejudices are, shall we really get to know each other? And the journalist, the, the, the producer was very quiet, but the journalist came back and said, well, do you know what? I hate certainty. 
And what he is really saying that you can't really be sure about this stuff. You, you've got to leave room for, for, for huge amounts of doubt and, and not really being sure that you're saved or sure that there is a God even or sure uh, of, of anything. So he said, I hate certainty. So I said, are you certain about that? He said, I, I, I got you. I said, you're talking about a philosophy. He was a very intelligent man and a very educated man. I said, well, you know, you're talking about a philosophy. Hey, let's get over that. We went on and had a great interview, a really great interview. And at one point, the, the producer uh, uh, interrupted the interview and said, push him harder on this, push him harder on that. And uh, the, the uh, journalist turned to him and said, oh, leave it. He's not like the others. In other words... He knew that I had a conviction and that my conviction was well-founded. Um, and um, actually, he, he got me at a stage when I was really examining and re-examining the basis of our faith so I'd have a reason to answer those who... Uh, something to answer those who want the reason for the hope that is within me. All right. So that's how many people today approach it. And there are so many different approaches to Christianity. I heard uh, a presentation of somebody who called themselves a progressive Christian. He didn't even really believe in God. Not really, not the God of the Bible. I don't believe in this kind of God out there that sort of created everything as God had designed. Well, if you don't believe that, you don't believe the God of the Bible. Now, it's your right. You can reject the God of the Bible, but don't call yourself a Christian. That's my view, humbly. But moving away from all of that, let me tell you about someone else. God himself. He wants you to know. He wants you to be sure. And he wants to give you confidence in approaching him. Now, let's go back up a little bit here. We know that Christianity, although it technically can be defined as a religion, it, that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it's a loving relationship. Like Now, in all relationships, confidence has to be there and a certain amount of assurance. You know, if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, at least you better be sure that they exist, unless there's something going on in your head. Uh, and we have an encounter for you so that we can help you with that. But not just that they exist, but what kind of person they are. The Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God, but he that comes to God must know that he exists and, that he, and, and he is a rewarder of those who trust him. You've got to know something about that person, their character. There's got to be some sense of reliability and consistency. There's got to be a bottom line. They like you. They care about you. I mean, you, you can be in relationship with people who don't like you, that's called loving your enemies, but when you're in a kind of marriage relationship, friendship relationship, you know, a good friend, a good relationship, you, you've got to know that they at least care about you, that they favorably are disposed to you, favorably, and, and, and they will love you, and, and, and love you tough, tough love. In fact, you will never be able to have a stable, satisfying relationship anywhere without at least some basic assurance. 
Don't you think also that God wants you to have that assurance as you get to know him? And to know that you know him? I believe so. I believe it's absolutely logical that the God of love whom we serve will want us to be assured in his presence. God wants you to know. Let's turn to the scripture. See what the scripture says. 1 John 5 verses 13 to 15 say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Knowing that you have eternal life there is is not just intellectual. It's a very deep word. The word know in the Bible is actually used of intimate relationship, of deep personal knowledge. So he says, John is writing, and he said, look, I want you to know those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I want you to know that you have eternal life. Verse 14, and this is the confidence we have towards him. You see, there it is, confidence toward God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So you see, this kind of confidence, we shall see this later, affects everything about you, beginning with your prayer life, of course. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So it, it's not just knowing him personally, it's having such confidence in him that we know that when we pray according to his will, not only does he hear us, he answers us, and he's right there with us. So God wants you to know. God wants you to have confidence and assurance. But how can you know? Now, to answer that question, we've got to start looking at what the Bible means by the word faith. And here, some of our antagonists, especially those of the new atheist variety, they prejudice the discussion by giving us a definition of faith that is not a biblical one. And those people who haven't really thought much about this will fall into the trap very easily. Here's here's the trap. They say, faith is believing where there is no evidence. In other words, there's no evidence for God. There's no way that you can demonstrate it. There's no reasonable proof that God exists. So faith is just believing it anyway. That's not the Bible understanding of faith. With that kind of understanding of faith, there can be no assurance because if you're not even sure that what you're believing is true, how can you be sure that you believe it and would it matter anyway? They exclude evidence. They exclude reasons for believing. And we're not going to go into all this tonight. I want to get to the assurance itself rather than go through a whole set of arguments because in many ways, assurance goes way beyond any rational proof, or any reasons that might satisfy somebody in a debate with an atheist. It's far deeper than that. But there is so much evidence that points to all of this stuff. Uh, I, I would say there's an avalanche of evidence. And you know when you're talking with somebody, you might give them a reason and they duck it. 
they, they, they sort of dodge it. You give them another reason, they dodge it. And so it's like an avalanche falling down the mountain, rock by rock, stone by stone. Here's another one, let's get out of the way. But that's not an avalanche. An avalanche is when all the rocks come together, and I'll tell you what, when they come together, the evidence is overwhelming. Um, so faith is really about believing facts um, and believing certain things are true because the evidence points in that direction. But faith is much more than that. I've met people who've been intellectually convinced of the existence of God and that Jesus Christ is very much what he says he is. But they haven't become Christians because faith is more than believing that certain things are true. Faith is believing in it's trusting in Jesus. And I believe in this respect there is hope for cynics and skeptics and any person who is an honest doubter. One of the things that we have to be careful of in our own circles um, when we're reaching out to people and also raising children in our families, never, never discourage honest doubt. God can take your questions. And when you dig deeper, you find that there are so many answers to many, many questions. And I would say the evidence for Christianity takes us into the realm of perhaps the evidence that's presented at court or evidence of history or archaeology. It's beyond reasonable doubt beyond reasonable doubt. So if you have an honest doubter, you can reason with that person, and they can come to a place of beyond reasonable doubt. But even for the believer, hear me carefully, even for a believer, honest doubt is healthy. Blind faith, without honest inquiry, without seeking understanding, is unhealthy. And it's to be welcomed. Some of the people that are now very prominent in the area of apologetics, which is kind of what I'm doing now, but they do it really at a high level, um, they were always encouraged. I, I think of John Lennox, who is a major, foremost apologist, professor of mathematics and uh, science or the philosophy of science. And his parents always said, oh, you're reading this book, why did you read this book? His parents were believers and gave them a book by the most prominent atheist of the day. Read it, find out what they think. And so thinking Christians, we need more of them. I think of my good friend, Dr. Larry Crabb, who went to be with the Lord fairly recently. He, he went through a stage when he was saying, look, do you know what? I think I'm going to give this up. I can't remember if he was thinking about Buddhism in his uh, college years. And his father said, okay, son, whatever you, you, you choose, whatever you believe, I, I'll love you anyway. And, and you know, just, just make, make sure that you are pursuing truth. And that led him not away from Christianity, but right back into Christianity. So today, as responsible Christians, and we're talking to people, Dogmatism doesn't help. But at the same time, 
be honest with, have you never struggled with a question? Do you have the opportunity to talk through that with somebody honestly? Now, I'm not talking about those people who doubt for other reasons, all kinds of other reasons. Um, once uh, one of our church elders told a story, this is not in this church, another church, uh, uh, said, you know, um, asked the pastor of the day, can anybody lose their salvation? Now, you come to me, I'll be opening the Bible straight away and giving you answers. But that pastor was a little wiser. He said, now, when people ask that question, there's usually a reason. What's the reason in your case? And the man blushed, even as an elder. He said, I remember there was a reason. And so look behind all of those things. But, but honest doubting, honest questioning, go to God with it. He, he will answer you. I, I, I love the apostle Thomas as he's portrayed in the New Testament. Remember Thomas, they call him Doubting Thomas. But there's a passage in the Gospels where we see something more to Thomas, more, more than his cynical, skeptical side. Jesus is talking about what's going to face him in Jerusalem and, and he's saying, we're going there. And Thomas says, okay, let's all go with him and die in Jerusalem. Cynical, skeptical, but courageous. Courageous. He was also honest. He said, I'm not going to believe until I see for myself. Do you remember that? Let's have a look at it. John 20, verses 24 and onwards. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. He was a doubting Thomas. Of course he was right there. Now, I, I'm not going to defend him at this point. Maybe he should have had confidence in the testimony of his fellow disciples. These weren't these were just anybody. These are the people he'd lived with and worked with and ministered alongside with. He'd seen great things happen, miracles, even people raise, being raised from the dead for three years. But he wasn't prepared to believe Peter, John, or any of them. Now, that's sad. That's sad. But whatever was going on inside him, we know he had withdrawn from the meetings. And that's often a first sign that you're struggling, withdrawing from the meetings. There are so many people who were on the fringes of church fellowships, including this one. A bit of trouble came, a bit of controversy to take the jab or not the jab, to wear a mask or not wear the mask, and they, they got all sidetracked by that and decided, huh, we don't like the way KT wears masks. They're capitulating to the government. You know, they even closed the church. We never closed the church. You can't close the church of Jesus Christ. It just meant we didn't have access to buildings. That access to so much more. Anyway, um, cell leaders know this, that 
The people who are struggling in one way or another, they're the hardest people to reach. They never answer their phones, never respond to their messages. Uh, and Tom, Thomas was a bit like that. He, he didn't show up at the meeting. I'm glad you've showed up today, and I'm glad you've showed up. And even those of you who are watching tomorrow, which will be today for you, you showed up late, but you showed up. He didn't show up, so he missed it. He missed the revelation of Jesus, who appeared to them in his resurrection body and demonstrated infallibly, there was no doubt in their minds that he had been raised from the dead. They even saw the nail marks. He carried in his resurrection body, and Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I see for myself. Okay, he was honest enough. Far rather expressed that openly so we can deal with it or, or, or you can find your way through it rather than just pretending inside. So this was honest doubt. He was courageous as a doubter, but he was also honest as a doubter. Oh, by the way, here's a good way to check out whether somebody that you're talking to has honest doubt or dishonest doubt. Maybe you're talking to them about a, a lifestyle which is against the scripture, and they're arguing with you and say, well, you know, I don't believe the Bible is right on that point, or I don't believe the Bible is, we have to take the Bible literally, or I don't even believe the Bible says that. Here's a question. If God said it, would you submit to his word? And if they say no, you know their doubt is not honest. They are trying to run away from God. Or uh, you're talking to somebody and they've got all kinds of arguments and, and um, you know, maybe you haven't read 10 volumes of apologetics and memorized it all. And you say, listen, you know, you ask me all kinds of questions. I know their answers. But listen, if I was able to answer all of your questions and you came to understand that Christianity was true, would you become a Christian? And there are people who say, no, even if Christianity was true, I wouldn't become a Christian. That's not an honest doubter. It's best just to, to pray for them and not necessarily uh, keep, be friends, but no discussion of yours is, is going to make, make a difference. I like his courage. I like his honesty. But I also like his willingness to commit Right? John 20, verses 26 to 29, eight days later. That's the Jewish way of saying a week later. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, look, see my hands. And put your hand into my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He said, I won't believe unless I see what God gave him. That evidence, the evidence of his eyes, and immediately he committed to it. See, that's the difference between believing that Jesus was raised from the dead 
and believing in the resurrected Christ. He committed his life. My Lord, not the Lord, but my Lord, my Lord. He said, I'm putting all my eggs in this one basket. My Lord, my God, no other gods, no other philosophy, no other religion, no other ideas. I have seen with my eyes and I believe and now I'm putting my trust in you. Now we're getting right down to brass tacks because this is how you can know. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. What's going on here? Jesus showed himself alive over a period of quite a few weeks after the resurrection before he has ascended to heaven. And in particular, he showed himself alive to his apostles who were to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection, who would be the testimony behind the New Testament to be able to say, look, we were there. We saw with our eyes. We handled with our hands. We looked upon. We touched the things concerning the word of life. And this is our testimony. And because we were there, we saw, we heard, what we're telling you is our witness. We are witnesses to these things, eyewitnesses to these things. And their witness is recorded for us in Scripture. So if there is a reliable witness, even coming from 2,000 years ago, if there's a reliable witness, you can trust the word of the witness. That's how you prove in court. That's how you defend in court. Witnesses who are brought together. What did you see? What did you hear? Not what's your opinion. What did you see? What did you hear? At that, the court does not want any opinions from witnesses. All the court wants to hear is, what did you see? Where was this? And do you have any corroboration? And we have four Gospels corroborating Gospel facts. We have a first century of eyewitnesses, not just the 12 apostles, but many, many others who saw him. Jesus was with, appeared in his resurrection body to 500 at a time. Many, by the time that some of the New Testament was being written, were still alive. Paul says, go and ask them for yourself. So there's hope for us. We do not believe because we were, we were there. We were not there. But others were there. And their word is recorded and we trust them. Everything we know about them historically demonstrates they are reliable men and women. Don't forget it was the women who were first witnessed the empty tomb. And as soon as we come to understand who Jesus is, that's, not the, that's the beginning of faith. It moves from faith to trust. We place all our eggs in one basket. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was crucified. He has been raised from the dead, and we put all our trust in him. A Christian believes in Jesus, not just believes that Jesus is who he claimed to be. A Christian trusts in Jesus, and this is really the only way you can be sure 
Are you trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Now, the difference between believing something and really trusting it is illustrated by a story which uh, I know this is a real character, Charles Blondin, a French tightrope walker who crossed the Niagara Falls on a tightrope in the 19th century. The story goes, not only did he cross the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, but he wheeled a wheelbarrow over. Now, I'm not, I don't know, I can't find the historical reference to that, but that's a story that's been passed down. All right, let's assume that it's true anyway. He wheeled across the wheelbarrow, and then he came and he said, how many people believe that I could wheel them across in this wheelbarrow, across the Niagara Falls? I believe, I believe. Right, who will be the first? Everybody's hands went down. They were prepared to believe that he could, but they weren't prepared to trust him in it. And that's the difference. Somebody who has seen the amazing work that Jesus Christ has done and recognizes this invitation, come to me, and and, uh, uh, that is believing that he can save you, but then it means stepping in and trusting. Trusting. And you know, Verses 30 and 31 go on to say, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. This is not just believing for the sake of the miracles. This is putting your trust. And John, all those years later, says, almost like saying, Remember I told you about all those signs and witnesses? so that you would believe, and in believing you'd find life. Now I'm writing to you again, and this time I'm saying, I want you to know. I want you to know that you know. I want you to have confidence before God. And so, how can you know? Ask yourself honestly this question. What am I trusting in? My religious performance, I got three out of seven of my quiet times last or uh, in last week or, you know, I have been relatively good not to sin knowingly against God. What about those who haven't? You know, God does not just save you, he keeps you. And the only way you can know that your salvation is secure not to look at yourself, not to look at your performance, but to look to Jesus who has accomplished everything for you and put all your trust in him. No more striving to achieve, to be relieved. No more defending on your performance for acceptance. No more introspection, always checking out to see if you've come up with the mark. Nothing producing nothing to prove that you're worthy of him. Nothing to try and keep yourself saved, only putting your trust in Jesus. Some people look at it like this. They're piling up their spiritual bank account so that when the big bill comes, they'll have enough money to pay. Let me tell you, that big bill is coming. 
the end of your life, the end of my life. But I've got good news for you. The bill has already been paid, and you enter free by trusting in Jesus. Yes, go ahead, give Jesus praise. <laughs>